Live from the Pathway Studios in Johnston proper, you are Live from the Path. And you're listening to Live from the Path. We're coming from the uh, Pathway oh, yes, Studios I here in Johnston proper. Sure are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ben. I, was, I had some technical things I was working on. Don't draw attention to it. I won't. I won't. <laughs> hey, man, you draw attention to it by randomly stopping. Here's hey. what we got. No, no, there's music playing. This seems normal. Half, halfway through second service, half our board went out last week. What, really? They just kept singing. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then somebody, some dude went up and... Uh, uh, Lindgren was here, and they put his mic down on his guitar so you could hear it because that's one of the things that went out. Right. So you just keep going. Yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah just keep do on it. rocking. You'll be like, hey, everybody, please pay attention. I'm moving my microphone to the guitar. Yeah. Hey, speaking of Kevin Lindgren, he's going to be here next week. He's got a Kickstarter um, Heck yeah. for a brand new album coming out, and so he's going to drop by in the studio. We haven't uh, checked in with Kevin in uh, quite a while up here in the studio. I was on his Kickstarter uh, thing yet, uh, today, and I was going to give some money, and I, I didn't yet. <laughs> Dan, that was a phenomenal get, story. Get it all out this week. Uh, <laughs> so I'm what do it what this are the commitments have in. you half done this week, Dan? Well, I was looking at it, going, "Oh, what level do I want to be?" This is this is. Uh, this oh, is baby, I got to put some thoughts. Give a thousand dollars to be at the apostle level. <laughs> I mean, I want to be. <laughs> I want to be the best. But the best, he has some big expectations for the, to be the best. Oh man, yeah, that is rough. I saw um, there was another somebody else that I was familiar with that was doing a Kickstarter, and like some of these some of these prizes were like really lofty, and I thought. Like I would like to give them that much money, but I actually don't want this thing to happen that they're going to say. They're like, <laughs> I don't want a jet ride. Hey, we'll do a we'll do a house show and combination like an art party. And I'm like, uh, you know, sounds awful. Awesome. Live in your bedroom. Can I drop no, off five no. bucks and not do the art party? <laughs> sounds terrible. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're new segment this week: regrets with Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Things I could have done. I almost gave money to people. <laughs> almost. Really the thought about it. Uh, all right, here was good coming on the show tonight. Uh, so th- I-, I read this article and I thought it was a good reminder. It was uh, from from Francis Chan, and he said that uh, he's been uh, he baptized his best friend after thirty years of praying that he'd find Jesus. Hmm. Uh, it's a good reminder of the long suffering. So we're going to go through that, and we're going to hit up two of the ten theses on um, Bible, uh, excuse me, Bible poverty and justice uh, from our friend Matthew Loftus. Uh, we didn't get to that last week, so we're going to hit up two this week, and uh, we're just going to go through these ten and say, hey, look, do we uh, we agree with this, and uh, make our way through our, our understanding of what what is probably a um, I, I, th- I think where a lot of the, dis- the gray area discussion goes on on um, the Christian understanding in America between um, social justice, uh, government, church responsibility, uh, and how we view people all end up kind of in this bucket. And so uh, continued discussion in that realm is probably healthy. So that's where we're going to hit these and see what we can come to. Come to. So I met, I met some gals this week at, at the convention I went to, a missions convention. That's not what those conventions are for, Dan. Well, <laughs> you're not there to pick up ladies. <laughs> I didn't pick them up. They would not have been interested. I had a vest. <laughs> it was a social justice booth. booth right? uh, so oh, yeah, think. yeah, yeah. And I thought, I'm going to talk to these gals because they might probably have something really fun. And, and, like, they're all, like, you know, 20-something, and they're all, like, in black and gray. And I thought, oh. they just kind of almost have a, like, yeah, social justice look. And <laughs> it's brutal. I'm, I'm brutal. sure that's what they're going for, They had the look. They had that vibe. I, I was up. Upstairs in this uh, skywalk thing, looking down, you're supposed to kind of pray. So I was like praying for yeah. people, and they kept catching my eye. I prayed for him a few times. So I went down and said, hey, I've been praying for you. I want to know what you do. And, and 
I have I got like nothing. It's like, oh, oh no, we do interns. I'm like, oh, so yeah, yeah, we just send interns around. I'm like, uh. <laughs> like I, I, I didn't get it. So I got some information. I haven't read it yet, and uh, I'll pass it on to you guys. Dan, this regrets with Dan. <laughs> Another <laughs> half <number> two. <laughs> Both stemming from the convention. No, no, no. The first one. You know, not. I tell you what I would do. I would pay up to a dollar a day to subscribe to the newspaper that Dan writes for. Oh yeah. Byline. I stopped by this place. Full story. It was going to be great. I don't have all the information yet. <laughs> <laughs> I was underwhelmed. <laughs> Article 2. I was going to donate to this thing, but I didn't. <laughs> but actually, so it's, it's a, that's an interesting, it's an interesting point because I think, um, I think that's where a lot of people get burned or turned off on like the phrase social justice. is a, It's attached to a bunch of community organizing, interning, yeah. um, show up and protest, and walk blah, blah, blah. and do, show up to the convention. Did you do anything? No, no. That Right, that. Uh, yes. So can I have an intern? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we send them places. <laughs> <laughs> Will they just come and work for me just to go somewhere else to a convention? Cause <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they were sweet. I mean, you know, sure. they, were, they were nice people, and I just probably didn't have the right questions, to be honest, because uh, I, I just I, I hit a wall. I thought, I don't know what to ask you. Like, yeah. Other than, what do you do? Nothing. Here's the thing. of the... <laughs> Of the, that was the uh, best I had. <laughs> My opening gambit yeah. tonight. That wasn't like a top tier interview question. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> That's why I'm on this side of the uh, microphone. <laughs> Dan, I would pay to to follow you around with a camera and just watch you walk around to booths and interview them. Like, what do you guys do? Okay, we have one. Next booth, Dan what got an interview with do? the chicken woman. I, yeah, and I I would have pursued that better. But it was so loud. I figured it was going to be really bad audio. It wasn't good audio. I had my microphone in the hotel three blocks away, oh, yeah. and I uh, I was disappointed I didn't bring it. We got I, next year. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have fun. Dan's with that. gonna be ready. Oh. It's gonna be ready. It's gonna be great. We're going to the Ukraine in two years. Oh, sweet for yeah, the missions anyway. conference. No, just just to go to the Ukraine. A separate pathway group. I'm gonna keep doing Zimbabwe. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just switched gears. I went back. I went. I was on my path. I'll be quiet. <laughs> you guys do your show. I'm actually an intern for people that go to Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for interns yeah. right now. <laughs> they won't let me go in until I get a pair of black sweats. <laughs> All right. So we're just colors. Hey, now, long trench coats. Before we leave this activist thing, I was reading a sweet article this week about the people that were vandalizing like the the pipeline that were getting the tar sands out. Oh yeah. You yeah. know, and, and shipping them across. And like I, I read this super interesting article that the, the the big thing that they were trying to prove they were purposely trying to get arrested so they could go to court. And it was I can't remember the name of the defense, but it's a it's a it's a defense that you would use to say I had no other choice but to commit this crime because all legal options had been exhausted, and therefore this was a, a rightful a rightful act. And and it's a it's a legal defense in court. But people with that uh, that are in, involved in activism try to use this all the time. And and the folks that were they were up in Minnesota, and it was the, it was the pipeline that come down from Canada, and. Um, uh, they cut the the chain to the gate, and they went in. And they were basically going to going to shut off the 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 main pipeline that was coming down from the tar sands. And and so they called the pipeline company ahead of time and said, "Hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to shut down the, the the main pipeline just for safety reasons. You should know that's what we're doing." And then uh, basically all they did is end up uh, you know t- spinning this. I don't know if you have ever seen a pipeline valve, but it takes I mean literally like ten minutes to move these things. Like they're super low geared because they're so big. Oh, well, yeah, and so yeah. you just sit. I mean, it just takes forever wheel this thing around and so eventually the sheriff shows up and arrests them and whatever and the whole reason that they did any of it because actually it didn't affect the pipeline at all they remotely shut the valves down as soon as they knew the people were there so they were shutting it anyway in a controlled fashion but anyway they, they ended up arresting him and, the, and it was just a huge plot to be able to get into court and use this this whatever defense 
that says, hey, I tried to exhaust this through government reasons, through hiring or voting for different senators, and no one's listening to me, and so I had to commit this crime. Nobody agreed, so I had to make it happen. And it got thrown out of every court in the United States except for Minnesota. And Minnesota gave him a foothold where they said, we're going to allow this, and they gave him a slap on the wrist and kicked him out, but they set a, a legal precedent right. where activists can, can now you know, say, look, there's legal precedence here that someone's been allowed to use this defense. Yeah, that that's mean? case law go- now. Oh, sorry. Does that mean I can go like shut down an abortion clinic? Well, I, if you've... Because I tried everything legally and it didn't work? That, but that's the whole name of the defense. It's whatever, I don't agree with X church, so we're going to go shut them down? Yeah, or? and so it's, it, it, it's, it's a scary, slippery slope, you know, something, but I, and, and you'd have a hard time, obviously, with the abortion clinics because it's legal. And so, but like, it's also legal to run a pipeline. Yeah. And so, you know, it, you know, it, it was just, it was a super interesting article. And like, these ladies were like 55 and 60 and they're like, I don't care. Put me in jail a couple of years. My kids are grown. I'm I good. <laughs> I don't like the speed limit. I couldn't get anybody to change it. I'll do it myself. I'll just go 150. But once again, it, it, you put it in the same, in the same category as, as stuff that people are passionate about yeah. and spending their life doing. And then you look at some of our half-hearted efforts to get people to know Jesus and you go, eh. You know, that's, we suck. <laughs> yeah, would I be willing to go to jail for Jesus? Yeah. I don't know. There's, moder- there's modern day Pauls out there shutting down the pipeline for what they believe in. And we right. go, eh, you know, I can't be bothered. <laughs> Maybe I'll get here today. Maybe It's going to be awkward if I get donuts at the Casey's anymore, if I go there, <laughs> if I talk to Randy about Jesus. <laughs> Randy will go, meh. Look, it's goat, <laughs> it's goat Jesus, man. It's goat Jesus, he man. Loves Jesus. I just want this French cooler, bro. <laughs> hey, so I, I found this. I found this, Dan. It's called Love Thy Neighborhood from yeah. Louisville. It's, it's from yeah. Louisville. It's from Louisville, yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is my picture. Oh, wait, hold on. Okay. Oh, that's what, is that, was that what you were trying to get me to do? <laughs> oh, no, I was just... Okay, hold on. All right, hold on. Here, there it goes. There they are down there. Love that's, Thy Neighborhood. Yeah. They're all in black. They're Man, not, you they didn't the answer your questions because you're wearing black. You see that? Yeah, the guy visiting. They attracted <laughs> all the guys. That's why I put on my vest and say, hey. <laughs> Dan, I think I know why they didn't answer your questions. <laughs> <laughs> that approach and then you taking pictures of them is never guy. a good way to do things. Listen, I, was, I was above looking down on you praying for you. <laughs> Creepy. Little oh, man. Girl. Yeah. That's still, Dan, that's terrifying. That was terrible. Interesting. So, so, uh, well, so yeah, what they, do they do? What they do? So they they, they do uh, interns. They call, yeah, they call it social justice internships. And so yeah. essentially, what you're doing, uh, it, it costs it costs money. It's like you're supposed to raise like ten thousand dollars for the year, but like you end up going in increments of like ten or eleven weeks, and you live um, you live in kind of a group setting with right. other people like same gender, same age, uh-huh. um, and you spend like half your day volunteering in various um like tracks so um places designed to help with homelessness um book editing and publishing so i'm thinking can't you do that for free yes yes (laughs) yes you can yes we've poked a hole in their plan yes Yes. you can i I just listened to them going it would be weird if paul was in ephesus on an internship (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) i need to raise some money to go to ephesus so i can volunteer (laughs) I, uh, hey, so actually, so th- that brings up a good point. Is like um, it, this goes back to um, the conversation we we're having about giving to money overseas, right? Yeah. It's p- people who have the, the right heart and they're right. well intentioned, um, but but we're not getting the most for our the most value out of our effort, yeah. out of our money, out of our time. Like uh, as a matter of fact, like the the risk for a lot of these for programs like these are like you're prepare you, we're constantly preparing people 
to live in an environment of which they don't actually live. Like college. When, when you could just live, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, like I get to yeah. today's point, like, do it. can't you just do it for free? See, I, I felt like them looking at my generation going, what? Why do you do that? Yeah, right, right. Oh, because we do that. No, but we don't need you to do that. Well, right. You, not- you know, cause I kind of thought, oh, wait, I should be on the other side of the table. They should be talking to me. But, <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, because uh, uh, so, so I, I know multiple people that have had this experience, right? Like they met Jesus at like a summer camp or something, you know, where you're surrounded by a bunch of other people that are, are there for the same reason, and, and like people are giving their lives over to Jesus like at, at the evening service. I remember that at summer camp, and it was awesome. I got crying. People, are, I'm like, yeah, this is great, you know? And then you get back home, and, and even like Jake, uh, who was in last week, was talking about this, and then it just kind of, it has this weird skydive. And, yeah. and, and it's because like we never actually put people through the paces of what it feels like or what it looks like or what it is like to, to live a, a, a Christ-centered life not surrounded in like this bubble of, of craziness, right? Like yeah. at the end of the day, your internship put you here. You can leave if you want to. But what happens when you do the exact same thing rooted in your own life where you got to keep down some kind of job? The money that's going to buy whatever you're looking to buy is coming from you, you know, or somebody you know, and there's some accountability built into it because you know the person you're saying you're raising money from. You know, so it's the same thing when you do stuff like that at work or, or at school or whatever, and you walk around and you say, hey, I'm raising money to do this. I mean, you're going to run into these people again. They're, they're going to want to know what you did with the money. And so there's, there, there is a little bit of – it's not bad. It's not like it, it's, it's all labeled bad, but it's, it is a bang for our buck thing. When you, when you organize it like you're, like you're doing, it's, it's like this safe, well, I'm here on a mission trip or I'm here on an internship and whatever. It's like instead of this is my life. This is what I do, <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. this is me all the time and, and, and I get to know people and they know me and like it's a consistent, this is, this is how I live. And so, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I totally see the heart benefit to what you're saying, but like the, you're right, the black and white, have we thought this through? Like the brains that God's given us to say, how can we do the most or how can we do any? You know, maybe we, it gets lost in that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, it'd be I mean, they're not going to want to talk about that. It'd be awkward to invite them in and say... I don't know if I agree with your program. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe it's worth uh, the. Con- I mean, some of that conversations we're having say like, why doesn't this work? Like, why, 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 do, why are we doing things like? Is this necessary? Like, is this necessary because people won't do it on their own? Like, yeah, are we creating yeah. half steps because they they can't? Yeah, they could. Like, that's the ideal state, yeah. but people don't. So yeah. the church facilitates a way for them to make progress to a lifestyle that they otherwise, or a way of living that they otherwise wouldn't do, which sounds like discipleship. And so that's okay. Um, it's, I, I think it's the question of, like, do we look at these? We look at it and say, boy, that's a weird way of life. They look at it and say, maybe they look at it and say, look, here's a path. Here's a path to getting there because people Kickstart. actually don't know the difference. Because yeah. yeah. maybe I look at, um, I might look at um, the world a little bit differently for having gone having gone overseas right like um and so to, to the point of like you learn something and then you can apply it to your own life and then it can, you can kind of move from there and so like maybe that's it but but um it's it's interesting to to think like do we run the risk just like we do of kind of how we give overseas and how we do the things that we do uh, even around us like are the things we're doing actually helping it's the core thing that every business has to ask and I think Christianity can ask the same thing. It's like the effort and dollars and time that we're putting into things. Like, is it doing what we expect it to do? And if it's not, maybe it don't work. And maybe we can stop doing it. I didn't consider the fact is like if, there, if you go to uh, uh, an underserved portion of Boston and there's no shoe peddler in town, and then we send a shoe peddler to sell shoes, and then everyone goes, well, why don't we just buy from a local shoe peddler? How dare you send this 
foreign shoe peddler in. Well, the truth is there wasn't a local one, right? And so, and so you're right. Some of my some of my thought process of condemnation of how these things are going, you're, Dan's right. If if the people locally were doing it, then there would be no room for the intern to show up and do it. And so, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. it's a much it's it's a broader swath uh, Christian society issue than it is you know people just trying to fill in the gaps. We're creating the gaps too. We're creating our own economy, right? Like we're both creating the gaps and the people to fill them. Yes. Yes, that's what's happening. I'm with you. Okay. Yeah. All right, there we go. Can I tell you about my other one I talked to you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't really it. intend to talk about all this tonight, but uh, there's another little booth I went to, and, and uh, they're, they're older folks. And I went, I said, well, what do you, what do you guys do? And she goes, we do revival. I'm like, what? We travel around, and we go to your church, and we do a revival. And I looked at my watch, and it was not 1975. <laughs> I was like, really? You really do that? Yes, we do that. We sing, and we have revivals. Man, like, yeah. I mean, did it get you excited? You, you, it did not. No, no, it's not. No. no, they said we don't charge anything. We just come do it. Oh man, sure they take an offering, but yeah, okay, yeah, probably. But I'm like, to. have you even heard of a church doing a revival in not n- years? N- not anywhere above the Mason Dixon line. Yeah, yeah. Within the last ten decades, ten years in Mason Dixon line, uh, no. Once again, I was speechless. <laughs> I, like, Wait, I, don't I, I don't know about that. I feel like people are still doing it up here. Oh, actually, the same, uh, the same, yeah. Sam Rose. I was going to say, I went to, uh, that was in an apartment complex I do security for. And I was walking through, and there was a, uh, uh, a, a poster up on the billboard that said, or up on their uh, bulletin board that said there was a revival at a, a church nearby. Wow. And they were bringing in Pastor, blah, 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 blah. And uh, he was going to be doing a revival service here soon. He sounds charismatic. Yeah, what's he's the, great. What's the biblical precedence for revivals? Right? Is it is it when they they reopened the law and then busted it out and then and then had a, I mean that's basically what that was, right? Who was it? Hezekiah? Who was it? Who did it? Who busted the the, the law back out and goes, oh man, we haven't been following this at well, Hezekiah all. Hezekiah did, yeah, and they were rebuilding uh, the wall and everything. Well, so so or Nehemiah, I mean, so make it make it if you if you generalize it a little bit, I mean, the thought of traveling, of a traveling guy going from town to town talking to people. It certainly has biblical precedent. Sure. Um, so, I mean, there's not, I think there's nothing kind of implicitly, there's nothing implicitly wrong with like having traveling folks go church to church. I think the th- the co- the concept of a revival as a um, uh, as a focused thing. Um, I mean, I th- she, she claimed it will grow the church. Yeah. So it will grow your church. Yeah. I, I guess that's the thing. Is it sounds it, it's it takes the it takes the greatest would you hear what I say uh, well here? Like, it takes the greatest risk in some of what we do to try to draw people into church and and detaches it from the things that help convert that into long-term discipleship and just makes it that's the only thing. Yeah. Like, it's prone to be, it can be manipulative. It divorces people from um, um, from the community that's around them. It ties, it ties the relationship to Christ to an event as opposed to a community and a, obviously Jesus. Um, and then and then it, then it walks away. Whereas Paul, for example, like if Paul's going from town to town, he's creating churches as he goes. Like his intent is to plant churches, of which then he leaves and then comes back and checks on them and then preaches to them, right? But the the method isn't just hey we come we show up we we dunk we baptize we bring them to the Lord and then we then we fade. That's that's not happening. Although I suppose if they're going church to church, they're intending to connect it to a. Do a thing. I don't know. Ah, yeah, I don't know. I, I've, I guess my concept of revival is probably thirty years old, twenty years old. Like mm-hmm. I don't have any concept of what that looks like. Maybe they sure have new, are too, though. Maybe they have newfangled <laughs> revivals that you don't know about that they're super hip and cool. The and, thing is, the, these uh, conferences 
uh, to have a booth there, it's big dollars. But that's interesting. I mean, hundreds of dollars to, to, to have a booth space. So it's interesting to think that they come to your place for free, and even if they're taking a, a, an offering, or whatever. Remember, we, we've talked about it, trouble getting bands to come places because like churches don't pay them very much, and like yeah. these folks can go around and pick up a decent amount of money and enough to buy a booth at the uh, at the missions convention. Yeah. Interesting. Hey, so uh, tell, give us your revival experience. Like, if you've had an experience with a revival, um, either in your past or or, or uh, recently, uh, we'd like to hear about it. You can call the you can call the complaint line. And uh, call 515-517-0085 or uh, send us a text, 515-517-0085, and uh, tell us your revival experience. I don't know. I, Mike, have, have you been to one? I think Grandpa did one at a, ch- a church we were going to when we were little, you know. But, I mean, really, it was a guest speaker. It was just, I mean, he was the guest speaker. Yeah, yeah. They called it a revival, but he was just a different guy. Yeah. Talking. And most churches actually do that on a decent rotation anyway. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, the, the head dude will be there for like, uh, whatever, four or five weeks, and then they'll send another guy in there for a week or so to give him a little break. Yeah, and so like this concept of like a, a new guy bringing the word, you know, it's not all that foreign. People, plus with, with uh, I mean, with, with media, uh, with podcasts and, and, yeah. and YouTube, you can, you can get the word delivered by whoever you want. You know, if you want a, a monkey with one arm preaching you through Luke, you can find it on he the YouTube. He's going to do it. Yeah, I'm going to Google that. <laughs> I, you know, very I mean, here's the thing: is that like there, there's certainly like um, now I feel like I'm waving a little bit because like there's there's certainly <laughs> I'm, I'm for it. I, I, I should have one. No, no, no. Uh, I, I guess like the, the things like it, it has the core material to be something that's edifying to the church. Oh, what, yeah. Th- oh yeah. Th- think of the celebrations in the Old Testament, right? Like focused time where the church gets together and said, "Look, we're we're going to to to, to praise God for what He's done. We're going to seek His." Seek his 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 face and his glory and and, and, and the direction for things it's like a shot in the arm. But yeah, they used to do them two weeks out of a row. I mean, every single night for two weeks, you know, they come in and, and uh, it was it was big time. Every church did them. I mean, Man, I don't. Is it is it, is it the, is the thing though? Is I suppose if they're saying it's going to grow the church, like I my the focus where it sounds completely edifying to the church is internal. Yeah. Uh, but then again, we stink at evangelism. So I mean, if we're not doing anything else. Does it's, the guy in the tent, I mean, do we give well, him a go at it? It's like the interns, right? They're filling a gap that we created. Revival man's filling a gap. I mean, what their, their something is better than our nothing? I, I, think, I think what happened is after several years, decades of doing this, uh, people started looking around and saying, hey, the people coming to these are just the people in our same fellowship of churches, whatever right. denomination you're in, that well, they'd all from that area would come together. So you felt good because, yeah, we're really full. But then they all go back to their own churches, you know, because that's where right. they're from, you know. And, and then they go, well, I guess it didn't really accomplish anything other than it was fun. It was good. It was, we assessed it as it not, not actually producing the value that we think. Like it, was, yeah. it may have been a beneficial time, but if the point was to grow the kingdom, yeah. not celebrate the fact that we could put a tent up yeah. and get together, which we could have done anyway. Uh, right. Right, that, right. It just comes down to the assessment: Is it actually growing the kingdom? And like, I can't imagine that. Maybe that worked before, but like, I can't. I don't know a man. I mean, not to a man could we be like, "Hey, I don't know or, or love Jesus." Yeah, yeah. T- hold on, hold on. Ten second technical timeout.
Okay. I don't think you should edit that part. <laughs> okay, we're back in. All right. Anyway, we've always good. been in. I was on a tangent. We missed the best part. What was what the tangent about? about? Hey, here's the thing, though. Aren't aren't modern worship uh, bands like? Isn't that isn't that basically the traveling revival? Yeah. Like a band comes in, it yeah. gets set up at a church. Then people from all different churches come in. They listen to a night of worship. They 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 sing, and then they all leave and go to their other back to their regular church. And I mean, at the end of the day, wasn't it kind of foolish anyway? These people already love Jesus. I mean, you think they're actually going to start coming to your church because you brought a visiting band in? That don't make no sense. That band might come back. <laughs> Their whole community is rooted somewhere else. Well, you yeah. just let them go back. You know, can't we yeah. just get together for a night of celebration? Why do we got to call it something more than it is? For example, like Life from the Path did a few years ago at Christmas time. Yeah. That yeah. was fun. Hey, man, our Christmas album. Hey, it's about time to hawk that again, baby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've sold four copies. If we could get another three or four, that'd be fantastic. It's, it's good because we get pantsed by another one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll autograph it. <laughs> Uh, right, you're right. So those are fun. They're fun things, and like, there's nothing wrong with those things. I yeah. suppose it's the billing of um, the promises that it's making that like we uh, we don't don't seem to pan out. Like it's just not like we could you could do accomplish the things that are actually edifying without doing all of that, and probably not having to bring someone in necessarily like these folks. I don't know. Anyway, give us your revival experiences. Five one five five one five one five five one seven zero zero eight five by call or text. That's a live from the path complaint line. Uh, so there, there was an article I read, this is from Christian Post, and it said, um, Francis Chan baptized his best friend after 30 years of praying he'll find Christ. It says, uh, Francis Chan has revealed that after 30 years of praying for his best friend to find Jesus Christ, he was finally able to baptize him into the faith a couple of years ago. The Christian pastor, author, and church planner said that prayer is essential in such cases, admitting that his past efforts to convince people through words were ridiculous. He said it's similar to the first time he climbed into a cave and, and experiencing how pitch dark it was and compared it to the darkness the Apostle Paul described in 2 Corinthians 4, 3-6. to six. Uh, He says, hold on. He says, uh, we all walk in complete spiritual darkness unless God decides to shine the light on us. In some mysterious way, God shines light in a person's heart so that he instantly sees the beauty of the gospel. No amount of human effort can produce this. Salvation is a miracle of God. Many of us would say that we believe this theological truth, but our actions betray us, revealing just how much we trust in people, speeches, and events. On more than one occasion, people have begged me to speak to their lost friends, believing that my words would make the difference. Too often I've granted their wish rather than correcting their theology and tried desperately to come up with the perfect words to talk their friends into following love with Jesus. You see yet how ridiculous this is. Dan pointed to Jesus' words in Luke 18.1 about how people ought to always pray and not lose heart and share it of his own 30-year prayer journey for his best friend. And so the description was, my best friend in college decided that he didn't want to follow Jesus. It broke my heart. Ken and I went our separate ways, and our lives went in opposite directions. I never stopped praying for him, though. I couldn't. Whenever Ken's name would pop into my mind, prayer was my natural reflex. Two years ago, I was speaking in Seattle where Ken lived. I invited him to the event so we could reconnect. We graduated from high school in 1985. After 30 years of prayer, God decided to shine his light on his heart. Suddenly, Jesus looked beautiful to him, and he couldn't believe that he didn't see it all, see it all this time. Um... The pastor added, a few weeks later, Ken and his wife flew down to San Francisco, and I baptized them. I can't express what a gift that was. He's one of the few people I've prayed for consistently for 30 years, a small price to pay to be with him for the next $30 million. Um, so I, I, uh, what I thought was cool about that story is um, I've, I've had that, that situation uh, more, like many, many times in my life where I felt like I, I'm, I'm supposed to fix this. I'm supposed to do something. Um, and I feel like I've done everything I could possibly do, and I'm like, this isn't working. Um, and it runs the risk of saying, like, hey, the faithfulness in Jesus doesn't work or God's way that he has ordained that life is to be lived doesn't work. Um, 
And there's the element here that uh, a man who has obviously accomplished much, um, uh, God has accomplished much through him in the way in, in for, for the kingdom through for a guy like Francis Chan. And um, it took his thirty his his best friend thirty years to come to know to know Jesus. And um, I know it was a good reminder that like um, that there have been times when I've transferred uh, God's weight onto my shoulders, and um, it was too heavy. And of course, it would be. And so that was um, anyway. I was I was encouraged encouraged by that. Um, would you would you guys say have you ever run into something similar of uh, trying to take God's weight on my shoulders? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Super guilty. Super guilty, Ben. <laughs> uh, so, so I mean, yeah. What, what's the what's the rub here? Like, why do we why do we do that? Because you want to do something, right? You think uh, like he. It, I mean, there's there's a bit of pride in there that thinking you know I will be the one that do, that does this or or you know like still pointing them to Jesus, but you're like if they could just hear it in the right way or they could just be in this situation and and take it on. And and it's funny, like we talked about this a little bit last week or the week before, something about uh, about the way you were reading your Bible, like getting it to know, like reading it to know God instead of what you can get out of it. And like, boy, I, I got to be real honest. In the last couple of years, I, I I was getting pretty down because like I had tried to talk to Jesus or, or about Jesus to like I don't know ten dudes, and every single one of them failed. I mean, just blew up in my face, failed terribly, and I'm like. I'm praying at night. I'm like, I have no idea what I am doing wrong here, Lord. Do I feel like I, I am I not am I not listening to what you're saying? Am I not understanding, you know, how to go about this? Maybe I don't even understand how to make disciples. So I go back and watch and read Jesus's life again. I'm like, okay, I, I think I think I got it. You know what I'm saying? Like I was going to come up with something, and 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 it was been in the last couple months, uh, you know, where God goes, look, this has never been about you. This is why you're missing it. You're standing in my mm-hmm. way, right? You're uh, on your way to get to me. You're still standing there, right in front of of what I'm trying to do, and maybe it has nothing to do with the plans that you had come up with, you know. And so, like, it it rings very true that that you really you can't say that I trust Jesus to take all my sins away, but I don't trust Him to handle this situation with my friend, right? I don't t- trust Him to handle this situation. With and so, like, you you not only have to trust Him to do it, you have to actually trust Him to do it, which means you right. have to stop having like anxiety and this fear of dread. And like, and, and and that you carry around, and like, when you run into them, you're like, man, I hope the conversations get steered towards Christ in some way. <laughs> Maybe I'll bring up this phony thing or whatever, or act like, hey, shirt? yeah. By the way, I was at a uh, youth group or whatever, and this came up, and the guy starts rolling his eyes, you know, and you're like, ah, man, fail again. We're so harvest oriented that we forget that that maybe our job's just watering or planting. Somebody got to grow the wheat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's legitimate equal importance in the kingdom. God worries about who, who gets the harvest. You know, we're so focused on I'm a fail if I didn't harvest this person. Uh, and, and like, we, we throw out vast areas of Scripture because we call ourselves failures because we didn't do it. We, yeah. we didn't get to baptize them. We didn't get to, you know, whatever. And it's like, maybe you said something that you have no idea what you said that made an impact on them. Or maybe they just were watching you. And uh, that, that's what had an impact on them. Who knows? knows? You know, I, but that's the thing is I think we fall too much on one side where where the, the risk is is that you're like, yeah, I just water. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like you, yeah. Because now you've determined then that you go too. the other way. You're the saying, I, I, I just water or I just throw a blanket. It's like the dude with the pamphlet or the guy with the sign, you know, that's yeah. like, I throw the seeds out everywhere. One of these is bound to stick. I'm no harvest guy. Yeah, I'm not a harvest man. I don't, I don't do the hard stuff of actually knowing a guy for years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And But actually, I, I don't know that I'm I'm... 
consistent enough on stuff that I pray for. I bet it goes a week, week and a half maybe, uh, and then I start I fading up. out. I, give I forget completely. I'm a jerk. And then they'll fall off the rails or something three months later. I'm like, I stopped praying for them. Crap, that's on me. <laughs> you know, and like, it ain't on me, but I still should have been praying for them. Yeah. You know, I think I think doing youth group and, and being a leader in youth group is, has helped me immensely in this and actually kind of have uh, shown me a, a lot of flaws in this because um, – you know, when I think back to when I was in youth group, I don't remember the vast majority of the lessons I ever learned. Like, I don't. Uh-huh. I don't remember every Wednesday. I don't remember the stuff that went through. I mean, sure, I'm sure that the youth leaders, like, put a lot of thought into a lot of stuff they said, but I do not remember any of it. But I can tell you certain things that I do remember, and certain things that do come to pass in my mind nowadays, and certain people who used to be my youth leaders that, like, they may have just shown up to something that meant something, or they may have just been there for me and it wasn't about all of that work. It was the fact that they were willing to just be there. They weren't the one that harvested. They, they may not have been the one that even was really growing me. They may have just been saying random things to keep me out of trouble every Wednesday. That's where I was. But nowadays, I can look back at that and say, you know, it may not have been life-changing things saying, but it was them being willing to be there. I see that now when I teach youth group. Like, I put thought and heart into this, these lessons and stuff like that. And then I ask them the next week what we learned about, and they go, I don't know. Like, okay, well, what did we talk about last week? They're like, Mark 1. I'm like, yeah, okay, what about Mark 1? What did we learn? Jesus was there. I'm like, oh, good, guys, sweet. I'm glad we're doing this. But, like, I realize, you know, a lot of the work that I may be putting in, it doesn't mean I'm going to change the fact that I work hard every week. It also means there's a chance that me showing up to their band practice or their band recital, me showing up to a football game, being there when they're having troubles, you know, praying for them. I, I'm I'm trying to do a good job of lessons, but I don't think I'm doing a great job of praying for. Them. And like that's where that meets at is is like I'm I'm trying to take the the place of well Jesus should be important in your life, and here's why. And I'm not doing it right. I should be just taking a step back and being like, how can I trust God to handle this? He's got me here to do a job, but like, how can I actually be asking God to handle this and not for? Well, I think that's, that, that goes back to what Mike was saying. It's like, hey, uh, you know, why do we do that? Well, we, we feel like we, we want to do something. We want to get something done. And like, as if praying for them isn't doing something. I, right, and like, that's, that's where I, um, that feels to me like I'm just saying, God, I, nothing, nothing for me here. Uh, this is the best I can do. When like, really, it's the best it's I the can best. do. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. um, and, and, and so frankly, it comes down to a, it's a relationship issue. It's a faithfulness issue that says God says like uh, I don't have to know how it works. I just know that like this is this solves problems. This is where if things are going to happen, they're going to happen here. Um, and then I, I and then we make the most of every opportunity that we can, whether it's whether it's uh, sowing, whether it's harvesting, like whatever it is, um, and watching the, the not not doing the buckets, but like where it's not focused or centered on um, God makes the way. Um, th- then yeah, you, you're going to feel like you're fighting your own path because you are. Uh, and you know you can't be surprised when it produces kind of your level of results. We, we so underestimate the spiritual connection of everything we do. I should do a study on this sometime, um, just from, to make me feel good. But I mean, or, like, just look at look at scripture of the things you don't think about that have spiritual implications. Uh, you know, get along with your wife so it doesn't hinder your prayers. Like, well, what does that have to do with my prayer? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's all these little connections here that have. Total spiritual, you know, effect with something else that you're doing, and you know, as you say, the biggest thing you do be doing is praying for the youth group, right? You know, and praying for the kids and praying for the people in your care. 
and and but that's not tangible. We can't look at it and feel it and touch it. You know, so we're like, ah, yeah, yeah, I'll do that when I, I'll do that as I'm falling asleep. But, uh, right. You know, I don't know if I'm going to put time to it. You know. You know, you know, had this this life whooped with Abram, because the Lord promised him a son, and for Abram to do his part, he has to say, "Look, woman, we got to help the Lord in this deal." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like Abram had this. He it, like of all the things that we try to say, look, we got to we got to help. God with the thing, like no, no one can save Steve unless we send a guy to talk to Steve. Someone's got to go talk to Steve. But Abram, I mean, he, he what a solid position, <laughs> you know? Okay. No one has any reaction to that Abram thing, Mike. I, it just occurred to me, and I thought it was, I thought it was super <laughs> interesting. I, 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 was, I, I thought it was clever, Mike. Grasp what you were saying, like what, what part of what? He gets to have sex with his wife a lot. That's what I thought you were saying, but I didn't want to go there because... That's what I'm getting at. I didn't want to be all junior high about it. And, no, and, no, that's exactly that's where I was going. going. So, okay, good. I I'm, mean, we're like, hey, proud of my maturity. we got to go visit people. And Abram's like, look, the Lord promised his baby was going to happen. Let's I mean, we obviously, what if it's today? We obviously got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Haven't heard yes yet. Okay. <laughs> Keep having it. <laughs> All right, let's look at these. So here, here are the ten theses. Um, let's talk about Abram having sex with his wife. No, that's, that's right. We're going to let that go. That's the 515-557-0085. If your name's Abram and you're not getting enough action at home, give us a call. Oh, sweet Moses. There ain't no booth for that at the mission. <laughs> <laughs> there should be. All right. Um, so this was, was an article by Matthew Loftus uh, at Mere Orthodoxy called Ten Theses on Bible Poverty and Justice. And uh, he says, uh, Peter Moran and Dorothy Day wrote about building the kind of society where it is easier for people to be good. While Moran and Day were very much against statism and would probably disagree with a number of the points below, I found their turn of phrase about easier for people to be good quite compelling with regards to justice and righteousness. Thus, I have formulated ten theses below on the subject to discuss. Each of them could be an essay of its own, but I've limited the discussion to a paragraph for each. Here we go. Number one. Uh, so our, our reaction is to say, hey, do we, do we agree with these, that this is um, ultimately the right, under, the right thesis on uh, the kind of society where it's easier for people to be good, cross-section of, of um, the Bible, justice, um, and poverty? Number one, human governments are ordained by God to uphold justice and are accountable to God for their actions. Here's the description. Despite their frequent failures to honor God and his law, Human governments are ordained by God for the sake of upholding justice. God will judge all the nations of the earth and their rulers according to their deeds. The responsibility of the church on earth is to remind our rulers that their authority has been given for a purpose and they will be held accountable for it. When the church proclaims Jesus is Lord, politicians ought to inspire fear and self-examination because they are reminded that they are ultimately vassals and stewards of Jesus' reign. that rightly understand governments and people. Uh, core, core thought again, human governments are ordained by God to uphold justice and are accountable to God for their actions. And they're defining justice, making sure everybody's fed and clothed. No, he did not provide any additional uh, We're description We're putting that there. filter on it ourselves. Uh, um, Dan's going to put it on there. Uh, so biblically, so um, this, is, I mean, this is biblically accurate. To the extent that that, that is why uh, governments are are, um, are there. That's Paul's description of what governments are for. Not uh, Dan's uh, added lens aside. Um, that, the, that God has instituted governments with a responsibility um, 
for uh, like both with a responsibility and an accountability for what they do. So is it to say that God has has set up the system of government and, and basically the same thing like he when he talks to to people being teachers of uh, of the scripture that says look not everybody has to be a teacher but if you're gonna this is what I'm going to hold you accountable to is, is that what we're saying the same thing about governments um I similarly yes I think that's not I, mean, I put Pol Pot in place uh, you, uh right. Right, it's just like the, the, the station itself. Okay, okay. So uh, this, uh, I think the prime reference will be Romans 13. Uh, Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. So actually, that would include the, social, the justice element of kind of what you're talking about, um, is that they're, they're collecting uh, taxes to be ministers of God. And I don't, that doesn't seem to me like it's um, exclusive of wrath, justice, right? That's carried in the first half of that section. Um, pay all to what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Human governments are ordained by God to uphold justice and are accountable to God for their actions. I still don't quite understand this. Are we saying that, like, and I, this always confused me. So the people that are, that are uh, terrible in power, they Stalin. This, this verse is talking about him? No. Yes. Help me. <laughs> uh, no. This is saying the system of government God has put in place. Agreed. Yeah, I, I, but not not says. Look, uh, if 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 uh, if Hitler says this is what we're going to do, you best fall in line. Yes, he has strayed from the purpose. Right. Like, Correct. Yeah. People Correct. can ruin the the system that is the government. That's the problem. The government in itself is ordained. God and is a. Uh, the fact, basically, if you, if you want to think of a broad concept, it's um, God is pro-authority. He 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 is pro-systems of um, of governing or infrastructure of of people. Some people having the resp- uh, the added responsibility and accountability, but also the authority to uh, govern others for their own sake and to admit uh, according to God's um, justice and 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 means and ways. Okay, so I feel like I've heard this misused quite a bit, actually. Uh, almost with those, especially, I mean, America, right? Because we have so much choice involved with our government, um, you know, that, that it is actually our responsibility to pick the guy that we're going to do um, generally. And so um, I've heard a lot of people misuse this stuff to say, look, this is the deal. God put them in. Like whoever happened to be elected president this year was, was put there by the Lord. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and, like, that's not necessarily what we're saying here. We're saying this, the system in place uh, was instituted by God, but, like, the specific people... Not necessarily. I mean, that starts to bend to your theology. Like, the more that you think that God is otherwise um, directing all those things specifically, like there's not there's less of a concept of free will than than it says God did it. But gotcha. I, and then there's other scripture that kind of refers to like specific folk. God put people in mm-hmm. yeah, those kind of stuff together. Yeah, I got to be honest, you haven't cleared this up for me at all. Thanks. <laughs> I was looking for some clarity here so I could move on with my life in a in a purposeful way. <laughs> I don't. I, so I, I would. I'm 
my reaction to this would be yes. I think human governments are uh, ordained by God, um, and I, I think they are to um, uh, it is their responsibility to uphold justice, and they are accountable to God for their actions. I, yes. So, what's the point of this of, of the thesis then? Is that something that you think we broadly misunderstand? Yeah. So, I think the point uh, he's I think he's trying to build like a, um, an understanding of how we should rightly understand ourselves, like the church, um, the government authorities. Um, and the types of needs that are out there, and then ult- ultimately, like how those interact. Like I think they all they all combine to try to have a have a broad conversation. So the question is like, are there elements that we can accept or reject hmm. as we go? And so like I, I don't I I don't have any problem accepting this one. Dan, do you still have hesitance because of the definition of justice? I, I guess I just need clear definitions of how they're using things to know. It's, and. The, the larger the government, the more difficult it is to do these things because you just can't. I, I, can't, I can't tell you if the person three blocks away is, is cheating the system or it truly needs help. I think the government should help people who truly need help. How do they, how do they keep from corrupting the system? The larger it is, the easier it is to corrupt, and then you're wasting. Then you're like, it's, you're, you're actually hurting people and... and yeah, so, but I, I think government should be involved. Um. So Dan's hesitant on the prescription, uh, if it prescribes justice and how far it extends. So let, we'll see, let's, let's look at some of the other theses and we'll see if it helps to clarify that yeah, point. Yeah. Um, all right, number two was, justice is not merely about rights. The best human society is one in which acting righteously is most accessible to as many people as possible. Here's the, here's the discussion. Liberal society in the West today primarily thinks of justice in terms of positive or negative rights, usually more of the latter than the former, especially among right-wing classical liberals. However, this is an anemic standard of justice. Throughout the Bible, we encounter a vision of judgment and justice that certainly includes not, not depriving others of what they deserve, but more fundamentally envisions a society in which our relationships with God and one another are whole and our actions towards one another and God are righteous. Biblical justice is not merely the absence of rights violations in society, but it is the inclusion of all people in that society in a life of righteous behavior and true worship. A just society, then, is one in which the powers that society possesses are used to direct people towards righteous and just behavior rather than merely catching violations of rights after the fact. Well, I feel like this is above my head, Ben. Yep, I was just about to say the same thing. <laughs> so... so Look at the, the the last sentence. I think is the is the core. Um, a just society um, is one in which the powers that the society possesses are used to direct people towards righteous and just behavior, rather than merely catching violations of rights after the fact. So, um, is 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 should we think of justice as not only um, punishment of wrong behavior, um, but should we consider also that justice is the setting up of your society in such a way um, encouraging? Yes, that has the best opportunity yeah. for righteous behavior, yeah. right relationships between people and God. Is that is that do we consider that part of ultimately? I think this is where it ties. To number one, part of the government's um, purvey. I mean, maybe it depends on what I, because of the floating the floating. Uh, I, I, it's because of the floating definition of righteous, I guess. I mean, I know what I, I know what ours think, what I think it is, you know. But but what other people feel to be righteous in the in society. So ignore know. ignore the specifics of the definition of righteous. 
to the extent that it can be defined, let's assume that we could agree on a definition, do we agree that justice encomp- um, um, encapsulates both stopping negative behavior and put it, getting the best opportunity for the positive behavior or the I, righteous behavior? I mean, I suppose, you know, I, you'd have to give me a solid example of where I wouldn't think that. I, I would have to say I, I do think so because I get upset when they take down laws that try to encourage positive behavior. Uh, if, if they allow homosexual marriage, that means they, they they used to say that's not healthy, don't do it. And now they say, ah, do what you want. And so I look at that as societal breakdown as opposed to, uh, I don't know, as opposed to, but I mean, where, where before the government was doing its job to protect us from ourselves, now it's saying you do whatever you want, even if it just leads to, to destruction, because they've lost the definition of righteous. Yeah. So uh, because I get upset by that, probably tells me I think that is government's job. So, Partly. And so the question, I suppose, is does that extend outside of laws? So um, if the government has the responsibility as part of their, in encouraging justice to otherwise point people to um, uh, direct people toward righteous and just behavior, um, that power that they have outside of creating a law to either to keep people from things should they be using its resources or its power outside of laws to direct people towards those things? I think this is getting closer to, Dan, what you were concerned about in, in item one, which is if we have those, like, why, why, why do we, if, if that's a government responsibility, um, why do we stop at only laws? If the government has the power and influence to otherwise direct or make it so they have the best opportunity for righteous behavior, should they not use it even outside of laws? For example, so, like, as... as Definitions have shifted over the years. The government now will use fees and, and, and intimidation to shut down a bakery that doesn't do what they think is righteous, which would be cooking, baking a cake right. for a gay marriage. They're imposing their view of righteousness on someone, force them to do what they want. They being government this big, yes. you know, Right, it's not just a law, it's, it's some other method of influence. Which is probably where I waver and, and, and go back to, no, I don't think the government should be involved because you can't trust the government ah. who, from, from generation to generation. So, so, and th- so this is the rub, and I think this is the rub where we've run into a few times, right? It's the specificity of do we, um, not whether the government has or should u- use the responsibility or power that they have, but whether they're capable of doing it well. If they agree with me, then I'm all for it. Well, of course. <laughs> I think that's that's the that's that the difficult. Will, that thing. will likely be the continued rub, actually, yeah. as it goes. Okay, we're gonna stop at two. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> that's heavy. I feel dumb. These are yeah. yeah. I, I can't even process when you read more than one sentence. I'm still trying to get through the first one. Going, I'm not sure what I think there. I kind of shifted toward some software. I'm thinking about buying. I have to admit. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> we're, we're talking about something here. Yeah, I was in a, an ethics course <laughs> over. Uh, over the summer, my last semester of college. <laughs> the third paragraph. I literally. <laughs> like, whoa, I, Yeah, exactly. I, t- I took an online ethics course, which was an awful decision. And, this is why the government's where it is. And I, <laughs> people I, like us are voting. I feel like, I feel like when Ben read that, I was like, wow, I wonder if Ben is an ethics instructor. So. <laughs> All right, boys, I'm going to send you this link. We're going to see if we can digest it over a week. I like your optimism that thinking time is going to help. <laughs> yes. Booba passed his ethics course, I imagine. I did. Okay, well then, Booba should at least be paying attention. Actually, this will this, uh, work out good. 
Uh, Wait, hold on, hold on. We forgot one thing. Okay. Um, uh, Boova's got um, the uh, youth group question of the week. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Youth group question of the week. So uh, in youth group last week, I was actually stopped by one of my my younger gals. She's probably 12, 13 years old. And I kind of encourage uh, oddball questions, if you will. Uh, We go through a certain set of scripture every week, or we'll go through a, a title topic or and then I kind of allow, you know, airbrained off shoots of questions because a lot of times they develop even even better discussion than when I just have a lesson plan, like to follow those rap. And so I was asked a question and I, I thought to myself, I could probably answer it. But do I know my biblical backing on the question and what I feel comfortable answering it? And so I thought to myself, I want to bring it to a group of dudes that I know uh, read their Bibles and can vet out certain things. And I want to see what you guys think. And then we'll figure it out. So the question I was asked was, um, do babies go to heaven? Okay, so very simple question. Do babies go to heaven? Now, I'm certain that everyone has their own little answer to that and has a quick answer. It's actually a bit of a Pandora's box, (laughs) boo. Right, and so that's why I stopped myself and I thought to myself, do I have a quick answer in my head? Yes, but is it right? Have, Have I gone through the right things to make certain that I am biblically sound in this or even close to? And so uh, I wanted to bring that question to you guys and, and, and ask you, as, as fellow Christ followers, uh, do babies go to heaven? Dan, if you had, um, I assume you've had to deal with this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah funerals yeah. and such. Uh, matter of fact, I did a funeral once where the mother of an infant, uh, the infant passed away, and uh, was just in, in tears in a little room right prior to the funeral because a relative, an aunt or something, came in and said, you know, your baby's in hell because you didn't have that baby baptized. Explanation of the because mm-hmm. uh, they they ha- we are not judged on Adam's sin we're judged on our sin baby has not sinned uh, they're innocent and pure and until they uh, rebel against God there's no sin that separates them from God so of course they're in okay and so th- there um uh, the the theological uh, divisions start to begin here like if you were um, Reformed tradition would would generally say that we are uh, we are f- sinful from the womb, pulling from psalms uh, n- known as innocent, no, not one, things like that, and so that um, the baby does inherit Adam's uh, original sin, and so is is sinful even then. Which is why they baptize babies. That's that's why they baptize babies. Yeah, and so um, uh, and so. Did you say the reference for that was a poem? Yeah, yeah, poem. Okay, right on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, you guys, we got to be careful. <laughs> um, and so, well, and, and some aspects of Paul. Again, it's just it's just how they read Paul. Yeah. Um. But but yeah. So like that's where um your theological tradition starts to um start to um change how you otherwise understand that question. If you believe, um, like I don't think it takes very long for you know new creations to start bending the the Savior Lord. I think certainly. <laughs> um, I, I think God is ultimately good. Um, and I think he is he is gracious and merciful and uh, he is just and so. To the questions that um, I cannot answer clearly, I, I'm confident that he is just in. And so, um, but, the, but again, I, like, uh, like I was getting at, the theological tradition start to spend, uh, the, the Reformed tradition would, would, would generally say it's, it's up to God whether he chose that baby to be saved or not, regardless of a sin, sinful state, the same way we would, they would think of an adult, um, whereas uh, other traditions, uh, like Dan was talking about, like you know, the, the baby did not have the opportunity to sin against their creator. <laughs> and so, heaven. 
And so, okay, so the, I, I suppose the reason I brought that up is that was my answer as well. And I, I didn't quite give them an answer yet. I told them that I wanted them. Uh, I kind of challenged them. I said, I want you guys to go find scripture. I said, I'm not going to give you any, any advice right now. I want to see what you can come up with. Take this question, hop into your Bibles, find something, you know, look into resources, talk to other Christ followers, talk to your parents, talk to, talk to your pastor, talk to whoever about what you think this answer might be and try and figure out what ultimately I'd come back to the same concept that Dan had had, which was, uh, I, I believe babies to be sinless in nature and have the, the ability to sin, um, you know, without the, the understanding of right and wrong, without the understanding of what, what is sin and what isn't, you know, actions really don't fall under the gavel of, of judgment because of right yeah. and wrong. I say we're, we're born with a nature of sin, so when that time comes, we can choose right or wrong. Right. We will, we will choose wrong. Exa- exactly, you know, yes. No, I, I agree with yeah. that entirely, yeah. but I... And, and I guess that, that poses the question of, like, you, you know, is there a cutoff to that? And I, I, obviously, there's really no reason to know the answer Age to that. that that's yeah, where you start to get in discussions. Yeah. Exactly. Where, to be honest, is that, like, um, the Bible isn't altogether helpful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right? Like, you'll go look. Like, there's not a concept of age accountability in, yeah. the, in Scripture. There isn't. Right? And so, um, and, and the truth is, is that smart people who love Jesus diverge in completely right. on this particular topic. And I th- I think I kind of set them out on on path for, for intended failure, if you, um, because I wanted them to kind of run into that. Of you know, sometimes you, there may be questions that we ask that we think are are practical questions that have a lot of weight. Of babies go to heaven and things. There are certain things that the Bible just doesn't talk about. There are certain things the Bible does not lay out for us as as specifically as we would want. And and that's where you know a trust in the fact of of the just nature of God and and the understanding that He is. Uh, creator of the universe and, and knows what things are good. Um, that trust is an important part of that relationship. Uh, and, and so I'm hoping, I'm, I'm very interested to see what they come up with um, and very interested to see what kind of discussion. Um, and so, you know, that's why I guys to see, see what you get. See if I was orienting my, uh, at least in line, if not close to in line with other believers that I, that I trust. Yeah, that's that's a that's a rat's nest. Yeah, <laughs> so that's uh, questions from the youth this week. Okay, all right, good. All right, Mike, what what did you have? Hang on, Exodus thirty four. There's the longest description that God gives of His character, and He says He's just talking about Himself here. And and, and actually, this is just after um, the the golden calf incident, right? And then I think it was like three thousand dudes uh, stood steadfast in their in their rebellion and said, "We're going to stick with this." So God wiped them out, killed them instantly, gone. <laughs> And so the Lord's coming down to talk to Moses and explain himself. And like I said, this is the longest of Yahweh explaining his character and the way he acts. And it says, uh, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And so the, 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 that specific um, of, of God describing his character came to mind when you were talking about this because like basically if you look at, the way, at what, what God's describing he's describing both parts two parts of his character and one is his mercy and one is his justice and like if you were to put it on a scale you would start to see uh, you would start to see mercy start to weigh down and justice start to go up because so, they're both they both exist in God's character but the mercy way outweighs the justice when he says I have steadfast love for thousands of generations 
and I will I will visit the iniquity on three or four generations. Right. So he's basically saying when looking at when trying to compare some characteristics that God that that Yahweh has, my mercy way outweighs my justice. Otherwise, you guys wouldn't even be here. Right. You wouldn't even exist. And so, like, even when bringing up that question about about babies and about kids or whatever, like at the end of the day, if I don't believe that God is merciful and just with a heavy handed mercy, I mean, what the heck kind of God I want to be following any? Right. Like it just. It just cannot seem to, 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 even with all the legal arguments you could probably make with pulling Scripture together, you're looking at God's character as a whole and the way that he is, has interacted with people who have willfully sinned against him, uh, not to mention uh, children. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just doesn't seem to match up to me. Sorry, I was super excited that I had a Scripture come to mind when that's we were talking good. about Yeah, that. that's really good. I appreciate that. Uh, okay. Dear... Oh, man, it's from Iowa. Crap. Dear Life from the Path, I have a friend who constantly talks about all the negative politics going on today. I'm sick of hearing it. Not because I don't care or disagree, but it has become the topic of every conversation. She's extremely depressed, has major anxiety issues, and despite seeing a therapist, her condition has not only not improved, but has gotten worse. I feel it has become a one-way conversation, and she's not interested in listening to me. This is extremely upsetting because my husband passed away two years ago. She doesn't want to hear about it. She thinks it is less important since it only affects me, and I should have gotten over it by now. My husband and I were married 30 years, and his death was sudden and unexpected. Please help me get through this difficult time. Overwhelmed in Iowa. Boy. Wait a minute. This is about two things. (laughs) Yeah, what happened? I find some good friends. Yeah. The letter started out is, I have this friend who all they want to do is talk about politics. But then she's like, but really, I want to talk about the fact that my husband has passed away. Yeah, and I'm lonely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, you've, you've made this completely about two things. You should have wrote two separate letters. One, I have an obnoxious friend who wants to talk about politics all the time. What should I do? And two, I'm lonely. My husband passed away, and I feel like I've, I've incurred a great loss. Because two years, nothing. That is nothing in the amount of time. That, that, that your husband has passed away. It's still a big deal. Yeah. And so these are just two separate scenarios. So let's answer the one first. Uh, over-politicized friend. All they want to do is talk about politics. Well, if it was on Facebook, I'd unfriend him. Yeah. So do it for real. Yeah, I stop hanging out with Get people on with your life. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, see, people will not, now they want to come back at you, Dan, and say, look, your uh, job as a Christ follower is to be friends with everybody and find a common ground and a common way uh, to hang out with these people. Well, I don't have to hear your junk. Yeah. Dan <laughs> says, mean, I don't care what the gospel says. Whatever. I'm out. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw you a few Jesus memes, and you can throw me your political stuff. And <laughs> yeah, I don't, that is, I don't think that's the, that's the Christ. It's not the Christ follower's liability to, to otherwise, uh, I don't know, present themselves to anything that you want to talk about simply for the opportunity to potentially ever talk to you about Jesus. Well, and I feel like you have uh, massive examples from Jesus' life. Like, you don't see him standing around suffering fools for very long, right? Like, he says, hey, you want to follow me? Sell all your stuff. Wah, wah, wah. There he goes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's not like, hey, come back. We need to talk more. You don't, you don't hear him on every street corner talking about Herod. Yeah. He's talking about the kingdom. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And on top of the fact is, I think we were just talking about this last week. I was talking about this last week with somebody. But, like, um, we were talking about when someone uh, sins, right? And, and like, you, you go to talk to them, and they're not buying it, you know? And then, and then you bring two more dudes, and they're still not having it. And then you drag them in front of the church and say, listen, you're doing this thing, and, and, and we need to, we're all heading the same direction here. What are you doing with yourself? And he's like, I don't care. I'm not going to do it. And then, the, and then the, the Bible says, and then treat them like a, like a tax collector. 
And then if you look at Jesus' life, he treats tax collectors pretty well. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's, he's super open to them. He's, you know, he's, he talks the gospel to them. He doesn't like swing by and kick them. And so like these people fall in the same category, right? Like you don't have to sit around and suffer fools. You still have to love them and want them to be part of the kingdom. But like it certainly does not obligate you to, sit, to get involved in their wheel of destruction. And if that's all they want to do is, is be mad all the time, that's generally what one-way political conversations are. You're upset about something. They want to be, that's all they want to be is upset. Uh, yeah, you don't have any uh, obligation as a Christ follower to right. uh, participate. Zero. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two, uh, my husband's lonely. My husband uh, passed away two years ago, and uh, my self-aggrandizing friend who wants to talk about politics will not discuss it with me. It says she's not much of a friend. Yeah. I mean, I understand her world is upside down because Hillary didn't win. That's probably what, what the situation is. Uh, or whoever. It doesn't matter who. Uh, yeah, yeah, you got to move on. Grow up. Be a friend. Or, or this gal just needs to find friendship somewhere else because it's two years is enough to go. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, there's there's legit um, there's legit um, churches. There's legit programs. There's all kinds of people yeah. that that actually would love to talk to you about right. who've been there, who know what this feels like, and whatever. That but, is real pain. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's not anything to laugh off, and like you're just you're you're sourcing it out of the wrong bucket, right? You're trying to get uh, you're trying to get mop water out of a milk jug. Just, she don't have it to give you, so you should just ignore that. And, and when your world turns upside down, you don't care about politics. You, you're on the opposite end of the spectrum of this fr- other friend, and that's all this you know other woman's in. So so yeah, she's just going. She's expecting too much from this. And and you can have a certain amount of grace for some folks like that. Like yeah. and and I noticed that like uh, like obviously when we went um, overseas and, and whatever, and you go to a different country and you come back home and like people are talking about stuff, you're like I just give a crap yeah, about yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. I, I distinctly remember I, was, I spent a weekend with a, uh, some family friends of ours that their, their kid was in the hospital all weekend, and it was dicey whether this kid was going to even come out of this thing. And then I show up at work the next, the next Monday, and they're like, hey, this, uh, this thing broke up in eastern Iowa, and you got to get there. It's a big emergency. I'm like, you don't know what an emergency is. This yeah, is the stupidest yeah. thing to get geared up about. The air conditioner in my third car is just not working. Exactly. I'm really upset. And like we get, they're, they're hot, man. you got to yeah. get up there and fix this thing. I'm like, you know, that kid died this weekend. Yeah. I don't care about this stupid air conditioner. I feel like I want to leave right now, you know? Yeah. And so, like, some of that's true with people who get wrapped up in politics. Like, it, it is important. It's not like we talked about that with the government thing, from what I can understand of it anyway. Uh, <laughs> governments are important. I, think we about that. <laughs> I guess if, if I'm going to glean something off the top where the dummies live, like, yeah. government is, is, a, is an institution set up by God. And so, there are, it's, it is of a level of importance, but like, it, that, that's all the better they have to do with their time. That's all the better they're going to do. Okay, before you read the next one. Yeah. Well, you got to do secular, I guess. Yeah. Well, you said, but this reminded me of something that happened this this past week. A friend was telling me about they were they were his friend and I don't know if it's wife or girlfriend. Both of these two are are divorced and they're together, uh, and they visited a church for the first time and they're at this church like in Norwalk area. Yeah. And uh, they brought all these couples up to the front of the church and were kicking them out of the church publicly because of. Uh, they were divorced, or you know, it was all marital issues. Couples looking at each other like, "What? Yeah, yeah, that happened last last week." What? Wow, that's yeah. infuriating. Yeah, I, I, I was just like, "Are you, are you sure you heard that right?" He goes, "No, because he told, said make sure and tell Dan this happened to us this week." Like, oh, okay. What? Yeah, that's what I, <laughs> how could you? <sighs> It just—it makes me so okay, sad. Okay, now hold on, hold on, hold on a minute. Maybe they've gone to them singly, 
And then they've gone to him with multiple people <laughs> and said, look, you've got to do something about this. You're, you're walking the wrong yeah, way. Yeah, we don't know the full story. You think yeah. kicking him out and tax collector style? And they just style? I mean, how many people do you, Here's the thing. It's like I just ran across this tonight where, where, where the couple has, has split up and the guy's moving on, right, with another gal who claims to follow Jesus, like all while abandoning his wife and X number of kids over in a corner. And I'm sitting there listening to the story going, "How do you, what sermons are you sitting through where your just conviction flies away? Yeah. You know, where you're not going, crap, it doesn't matter what they're talking about, they're talking about me, and I'm a big jerk. And, and, and I'm just like, how could people continue to show up at the Lord's service every Sunday, listen to the, to, to the words coming out of the Bible, and, and pray, and not go, boy, you think they're talking about me? I feel like I should rectify this. And so maybe it's true. Maybe they're, they're, they're straight Bible following. They, they went to them, and they took two guys, and they brought them before the church, and they're like, we don't care. We're going to keep doing this. You know what? Get out. <laughs> Get out. Here's, here's what you're struggling with, Buva. Church, the question is whether church is for believers. If church is a community of believers, this is completely right behavior. It, assuming, my, assuming from Mike's perspective, right, that they followed the, that they followed the normal thing. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but, it, but when, because it is a public thing, yeah. and you're, you're, um, you are open to people who are not Christians, it is like yelling at your kids or having family discussions in front of the neighborhood. Yeah. That's what it is. Which is why in Corinthians, Paul says, hey, this is a public assembly. Stop doing some of this stuff. Yeah. And I'm yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm just thinking about, like, I am imagining someone walking into that church the first time, like you said, and that being what they see. And, like, I, I can't even imagine. Especially the, when they're guilty of Right, the exactly. They're, they're I can't imagine the sure. distrust yeah, that yeah. would be that would be fostered in that situation of, like, not just, just for the church, but for, for believing Jesus. Because, like, we are representatives of this faith. We are. And, like, people look at the things that we do, and, and that changes their opinions on Jesus. And it's wrong, but it happens. And, like, I wish people would see Jesus for who he is, not by his fallible followers, but, like, that just hurts me. Like, it's probably got to be a better way to do that. Because you're right, Ben. I mean, there, there, that is a scriptural thing. Yeah, was, <laughs> assuming right, scriptural things. But how you do it has affected other yeah, people. And th- th- that, that was the point I was, uh, yeah. I was getting at. Is that, like, is that like there's, there's um, yeah, there seems to be, the, the question is, do you have to do it in a public assembly? Is that, yeah. is that actually the way to be handling some of those things? Now, here's the deal. If that's your community, this, this gets into big questions on like, how big of community are we talking here? We got three services. I got to kick them out in front of all three. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. right. Can you come back for the second service yeah. so we can <laughs> re kick you out again? But, so, so I think, like, the context of some of those things, like, I think the behavior can't go away, but the context is very much complicated by some of our, the way, our structure, like the way that we do things. I think it, I think you have to recognize that those, the, the intent of the behavior was was accurate, but it was set in a culture of which they did things slightly differently. The the the, the gatherings tended to be smaller. They tend to be in, in people's houses, right? So you're not talking about public buildings where people are intentionally being invited into, come and see what this is, and then you're showing people what is ultimately prop, could be proper behavior, but it's family business. Um it's it's like having kitchen table conversations on street corners with megaphones. Like it's 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 not the venue and the environment isn't right for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we but we got a lot of times we throw like um, and I I don't know like I haven't had to do this yet. But like um, some of those church discipline issues, like we're we're pansy ish. Like we don't and we don't do things that like we say I know better than God in this situation. And I'm going to handle it differently. I will be more. I will be softer than he is. And then and then you don't get the. You know, we're not administering the church the way that we're supposed to. But like, I, yeah. I agree. I, I, the environment. I've never been in a situation where they stayed long enough to be 
in a public way, usually they'll leave yeah. by the third meeting or something. They're like, okay, we're out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're not going to keep showing who up. Who knows what happened behind the, uh, the scenes there? But yeah. Maybe it was a shock to all of them. Who, who knows that? I mean, why would you show up if why you knew would you it was going to happen stage? that day? Yeah, I'd be like, oh, I'm, not, I'm out. Once you saw adulterer John on his way up, and then all of a sudden you see divorced Patty who's uh, you know screwing around with the neighbor, and you're like, hey, man, I don't think I want to go up there. Yeah. This is rough company. Sure it has a big A on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Boy, read the writing on the wall, friends. They're going to they're gonna publicly slay you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Boy, yeah. that is, I mean, yeah. yeah. That would have yeah. been super weird. Yeah, yeah. Super weird. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to hit you with the adv- secular advice was. Uh, about the uh, politicized friend. Uh, please accept my sympathy for the loss of your husband because you are still grieving. Your friend is unable to help you cope with your sadness. It might help you to join a grief support group in which you can air those feelings with others who understand. Ditto. Do it. As to your friendship with the troubled individual you wrote about, it might be healthier for you to step back for a time. You're not equipped to handle or help her handle her anxiety and depression. That's her therapist's job. Unless you can pry her off the topic of politics onto something more neutral, your time would be better spent with people who are better balanced. Okay. You want to do one more? Yeah, do one more. You're live from the path. I have one sister who is 10 years my junior. I've always lived in a big city. She lives on a ranch near a small town. I'm widowed now and recently moved to another town to be near my son. On two occasions, my sister has come to help me with unpacking and has overruled many of my decisions regarding what I will keep or sell, where to put things, etc. What? (laughs) When I object, she become emotional and left in a huff. She and her husband were coming to help again, but beforehand she had already told my son how they were planning to get things done. Anytime there's even a hint of a problem, she calls my son and tells him about it, and obviously only from her point of view. <laughs> I'm afraid irreparable damage has been done to our relationship, and I don't know what to do. I have no other relatives. Please advise. Uh, yeah, so you, you misunderstand your situation. Here's the thing. You put a lot of eggs in this relative basket. I can make pretty good friends without them. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, my cousin turns out to be a real uh, pile of dirt. Whatever. I'll just get another buddy. I don't know that guy anything. I didn't tell his whatever dad to sleep with whatever his mom is. I had no control of this. Like, I'm tied to this man because we share some bloodlines. We all share bloodlines. Noah, you're taking this too far. Mike says you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Yeah. You got to know when to hold them. I mean, I just got here. You're going to tell me what I can keep and what I can't keep? Get out of my house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say you, you don't have irreparable damage. You, you just stop inviting her over. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Look, yeah. I've learned anything in the last 10 years that his family is very easily chosen. It is okay to just go, hey, you're my family, but I don't think I want to be around you anymore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or in this hyper-specific instance, I don't want you to help me move. Right, right exactly. Yeah, no. It seems easy you, enough. You're, you're being bossy and awful to me while I'm trying to do my own thing. Uh, please stop showing up. Yeah. I can pay a movers. It, sh- I'll it shouldn't have happened yeah. more than once. Hey, I thought I brought you over to help. Hey, they weren't helpful. I won't invite them over again. Like, I don't ever invite someone to help me twice yeah. when they were unhelpful the first time. Well, I mean, you know how people get power in these situations when you give it to them, right? When they're like, hey, you shouldn't keep this. And instead of laughing and going, you don't make any decisions here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Instead, you got upset about it. And you, yeah. wanted to, and you let them like, arouse a fight out of you. I mean, what are you, like five? You know what I'm saying? Um, people come over and say, hey, I don't think you should keep this china. Well, I don't think you live here. Well, then, oh, what kind I of smug is the person that gets emotionally <laughs> upset about you not throwing away a blender? Yeah, really. It's like, I gotta, you got to get rid of this blender. I don't want to get rid of that blender. Why are you so bad to me? Yeah. Excuse me, what? We're You're awful house. to me. <laughs> I, I suggested that you get rid of this blender, and you said no. Yeah. How dare you? He was like, all right. <laughs> right, wrong. exactly. That should be a, hey, you it's need to get that. rid of this blender thing. I don't think I'm going to get rid of that blender. Okay, let's put this over here then. Yeah. What's <laughs> next? Good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
You gotta let you gotta, you gotta stop letting people drag you around like that. I mean, there's 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 time to take in good advice. If you're like, hey, don't even tell me what you think of my stuff. That's a little bit different. But like, obviously, your your opinion does not equal the same weight as my opinion in my own home concerning things that I have purchased and purposely brought with me on the move. <laughs> what was the why did, why why does it matter that she comes from the from the the farm? Was that was that supposed uh, to help paint the story that she's yeah? It's like a Green Acres. You know, it's trying to it's trying to like get a setup for a good sitcom. She's a country dullard who doesn't yeah. know what to keep. <laughs> I'm, I'm a country bumpkin, and my sister's a city slicker, and she come in and give me the bosses. My minimalist sister showed up and yeah. took care of my hoarder. Isn't, isn't that the farmer girl that was throwing stuff away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had it flipped around. Okay, I wanted to make sure. Big I city, had it big city wants to keep the stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Farmer, okay. farmer wants to chuck it. Yeah. All right, weird. Uh, Secular's advice is: I'm sorry you are brokenhearted, but with time your broken heart will heal. From your description of her, your sister appears to be overbearing and loose-lipped. Unless you are willing to live according to her rules. Yeah. Loose-lipped. <laughs> She'd like to run her gab. Unless you are willing to uh, live according to her rules, what you should do is hire someone to help you unpack and begin cultivating relationships outside the family. They're less high maintenance than one you have with your sister. If you do, I'm sure you'll be much happier. Is that a thing? You pay people, like, I get you pay people to help you move, but, like, you pay people to help you unpack. Dude, you can pay people for anything. I'm oh. certain it exists. That seems like a very personal thing. Where like, you're just, I would just have to sit somewhere and they go, where do you want this? Where do you want this? Where do you want this? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I have any idea. <laughs> if you would like the fellows from Life in the Past to show up and help you unpack your things you recently moved, give us a call on the complaint line. Yeah, we'll do it. I'll help you move. I won't help you unpack. Yeah, that sounds I mean, helping awful. you unpack is literally like me taking fistfuls of your underpants, putting them in my pocket, and carrying them around. You know what I'm saying? Like, Ew, that was the weirdest possible No, it's, way to put it's that. not like that. It's exactly <laughs> like, that. like that. Oh. Yes, it is. Oh yes, it is. Monkey, that was an awful <laughs> Have I worn them? Yeah. They're, they're. Why are you putting them in your pocket, you weirdo? <laughs> because that's, freaking how, creepy, that's how acquainted I am with your personal stuff when I start getting in the ba- the boxes. Mike, I, I would trust the you. Box, get, I don't know what's in there. I would trust you to take my kitchen stuff and put it into the cupboards. No, I wouldn't. And I would never think that you would show up and be like, hey, Boomer, <laughs> I noticed that you bought the fruit of the room with Bloom recently. I got the specialists and your underpants. Check out that these are in my pocket. I would go, Mike, yeah. it is completely unacceptable for those to be in your pocket. Please leave my apartment now. <laughs> it is exactly how I said it was. <laughs> We've been friends for a decade. Please, please leave. Yeah. That's what's going to happen if you ever do that, Mike. Those are your personal goods where you decide where they go. Right? And yeah. so there's yeah. no reason to maybe have there's, other Maybe there's some boxes there. that are off limits. I think it's okay to unpack their uh, fine china. Well, yeah. and, and then there's this. Like, when we moved here, uh, there was a bunch of gals in the kitchen helping unpack stuff, and they all put stuff away where they thought it was cool. And Cheryl was just like, oh, I haven't really had time to even think about this yet. They all left, and we just put it how we wanted it. I mean, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, nothing got hurt. Nobody got mad. It was just, and nobody took underpants in their pocket, Mike. Not a single time did that happen. And here's the thing: when you're per- when that same person that helped you load the kitchen erroneously the first time shows up and says, "Hey, I'm gonna grab a cup of coffee," and they go to the cupboard and the cups are already not there. Then they'll know that you disagreed with their decision and caused a riff. Now, if they start moving stuff around, it's like, okay, now you've crossed the line. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's better off just to you do handle all the unpacking. It's your home. Yeah, I agree. I mean, but, you, but your own personal choices, you, I suppose you can make them all you want to. Like uh, a fistful Boomer's, of underpants. Call fistful of underpants moving and unpacking. 515 oh, oh, That is awful. We do text as well. <laughs> We prefer text. Please don't call us because we don't want to hear that name. Uh, hey, the acronym for Fistful of Underpants is FFU. <laughs> That's not good. we got to get a new business name. Okay, I'll see what I can do. In the meantime, uh, Kevin Lindgren will be on the show next week. Uh, he's got a, a new album that he's working on, and he could use your help. And so he's going to tickle your fancy with some tunes and tell you why you should support it. And we'll give you that Kickstarter link, and you can help out. And I promise... 
He's not a homeless man in cahoots with non-homeless people to raise a lot of money incorrectly. I guarantee it. In the meantime, be faithful in the means. God will handle the ends. You've been listening to Live from the Path.